I think that's how this works. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's recording. It says recording on my end. Okay, cool. Um, groovy. Yeah. So, wait, what were you? Uh, what were we talking about? We talking, talking about, about being tired. Oh man. I'm. T- are you tired? I'm pretty tired. Yeah. But we're not tired of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's a voice laughing. Who is that? Whoa, yeah. There's someone in here with us. What's going on? Who is this voice? Please introduce yourself, voice. My bad. I wasn't I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we welcome all. Please. <laughs> So my name is Monique. I am the host of Simple Robotics, the podcast, uh, co-founder of Diverse Tunes. Um, I think I'm just going to leave with those for right now. Awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. I. Well, were you about, you were about to say something? I was just going to say that Monique is really cool and everybody should love and appreciate her. Yes. Yeah, Monique is doing some really awesome and cool things uh, in the animation community. Um, And I also want to state that we are trying this really cool new thing out with podcast recording. So hopefully it works out and there isn't a bunch of trouble for future Wayman. But uh, we are recording remotely. Yay! Yay! Yeah, this is our first guest that we have that is not based in la oh my god yeah i know it's crazy there wait there's <laughs> there's, there's animation outside of la <laughs> where are you exactly monique i am in new york uh new york city not well new york city was is in new york state but i'm in new york city yeah the big apple the big apple james and the my, giant peach my old stomping grounds <laughs> Yeah, there is, I mean, everybody should know this, an animation community in New York, which is a pretty big animation community in New York, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Titmouse started in New York. I think, yeah, I think that is true. That is true. <laughs> Don't fact check that. It did! <laughs> so, Monique, tell us a little bit about what you do in animation out there on the good old East of Coast, mm-hmm. and just how you kind of uh, got into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, I'm one of those people who from a young age, a young enough age, always knew what they wanted to do. Um, and that's, that really solidified when I was like in eighth grade. I went to like a museum exhibit. Um, I'll specify the Museum of Moving Image a Museum here in Queens. I'm from Queens. They have an ongoing exhibit, basically like how to make your own animation. And it's like a stop motion. It's really like a stop motion table. Um, So I went there in eighth grade and like I came home and told my parents, like, I want to make cartoons when I grow up. And I just really lucked out in the sense that both of my parents were like, sure. okay, so like, uh, what do we have to do to like support that? And my mom put me in a bunch of like after school weekend and summer art classes and programs and stuff like that just to make sure I had all of what I needed to go to an art school. So I went to the School of Visual Arts, which is here in New York. I majored in computer art slash animation slash VFX, that major, because SVA also has like a traditional animation major. Um, while in college, I was super obsessed with, I'm going to be an animator like at Disney. And then by the time I was a senior year, 
rock band and uh, what's it, Guitar Hero, I believe. They were both really popular. I had taken some motion capture classes and I was like, oh, I like motion capture. This is what I wanted to do. And by the time like, I graduated, the same studios that worked on those games were all closing. And I was like, oh, so now I guess I have to go back to being an animator. Um, my reel wasn't strong. I had a tough time getting a decent internship, what have you. Um, I was always like hustling part-time jobs and art jobs and just doing like a lot of volunteer work. And I found an opportunity to be an intern, a programming intern at uh, the New York International Children's Film Festival. And that really opened my mind to being like, oh, you can work in animation and not be an animator and still be like really close to things that's happening in the industry. And they planted the seed in my ear that I could become a production assistant and move up the production management career path or track or whatever have you so I decided cool well now this is perfect because I still get to be in an animation studio and be around like animators and how movies are being made but I don't have to be an artist like there at and be like um you know what I didn't mention is like I am a very sensitive person and getting feedback from my work sometimes I cannot take it personal so not being an artist in a studio environment just like makes sense for me. Being an artist after work and on the weekends is just perfect. So um, it took me a couple years from college. I got my first industry job at Blue Sky Studios here in Connecticut. Oh, snap. And um, I was a production assistant <laughs> on uh, Ice Age 5, Ferdinand. And most recently, Spies in the Skies. Oh. Dang, get it. Oh, snap. The end. <laughs> cool. Wait, so, okay, so you you started as a production assistant at Blue Sky Studios. What what was that like? I don't think we had a lot of feature. Yeah, I don't think people. we've had, well, we've had, like, uh, older like vets who've been in feature but mm -hmm. never really anybody like of this current day and age who's worked in feature and like what is that process like getting that job because feature at least for us seems to be like this not unattainable but it seems like it's almost another world and not we don't know how like how does one penetrate that so i looked out in the sense that like i'm a very uh i want to say persistent but it's a little bit like my mom raised me to be like um, opportunities seldom exist and like you should uh, take the chance with an opportunity as it's presented to you because you're probably never going to get it again. So I'm persistent in the sense that I'm always going to find a way to get to where I'm trying to be. And I'm not going to step over people or crush people or, you know, put people down to in that process. But I never know if I will get this opportunity again. And so um, I was working at my college in 2015 and Blue Sky was actually having a recruiting event at my school. And I know they were looking for 
TDs mainly to wrap up Ice Age 5, but I came with my resume and I was like, hey, I know, you know, you're not really here for this, but I really want to be a PA and I just wanted to give my resume to you. And this was actually like also my second or third time actually running into this uh, recruiter. But I gave her my resume and that was like in September-ish. And I got a call in November that they actually were opening up a temp PA position and they called me for the interview and I started in December of 2015 and I just got in because like I was constantly showing up to stuff yeah you know awesome and I strongly just say that people need to do that just show up as often as you can if you can afford to no yeah like putting that face to to a name so like because you know you can just send an email but it's it it's if you like you said if you have like the means to do it like literally giving like a visual to the person that's just that isn't that's like just an email at first like means so much more and then like the recruiter like they did with you they'll be like oh yeah this person was really dealt they really wanted that i got something bring them in mm-hmm. yeah and being repetitive but not yeah to an annoying <laughs> extent like being being there and continuously showing that you are uh you're you're gonna be seen and you are you're very uh adamant adamant but not uh annoying i think it's a very important line to be able to balance so when you got the pa job like what what was it like working in like the feature space it was immediately super surreal like i i think i showed up to my interview not too like business casual but still a little bit on the dressier side because I wasn't too sure and once I I was there through my first week it was like I was in the render department so um, for those who may not be familiar render is completely like towards the end of the film process Uh, each department like head and leads come we have like this meeting once a week or no daily excuse me and they will just check like each frame of the film really just to make sure that there weren't mistakes. So I was the PA for this department, meaning I had to set up the meetings. I had to take notes like what errors or mistakes each department called out. For instance, animation may say like, oh, there's a pop in this character's elbow. Like, you know, uh, for people who animate in 3D, sometimes you have like the IKFK stuff happening. Crowds may say like, oh, there's some sort of funniness happening in the background materials may be like this character or object this leaf may have like the wrong shader on it something like that weird um for Ferdinand I remember there was stuff being uh called out for like in is it the glass shop scene the things in grandparents home usually they put like the ceramic objects on I think it's called like a doily or something like that there was a huge note for materials about those things like uh yeah china the that type of thing ceramic china uh stuff or is that something else could be yeah no no that's that's pretty much i think that's that's pretty much it but um so yeah so also with ice age five i think there was like some notes on like the the plants like a certain plant was turned on in a scene and there was some director decision to not have those plants on so whatever so i was taking notes for for um all that sort of stuff but in this particular department they had uh 
a point of time, maybe like three o'clock every day, they will go outside and throw a frisbee around and just talk about all the things they accomplished since the last time they did this yesterday. And I was like, is this for real? Like we're really going outside every day to throw a frisbee around. And um, Blue Sky is in the middle of nowhere, Connecticut. So that was really refreshing for me because like there was like deer outside and like other sorts of like furry animals, chipmunks and stuff like that. And I'm from New York City and I've never seen a deer in person before. So I was also a little scared because I was like, (laughs) deers hit cars all the time. And I was like, are there any reports of like deers hitting humans? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, So that was like pretty cool. Uh, I thought it was also amazing that if you ever watch like the DVDs, like bonuses and stuff like that. You see like Pixar and Disney, people have like these very zany and wacky cubes. And Blue Sky was just like that because they did Horton Here's a Hue. Some people had Dr. Seuss cubes and they did the Charlie Brown movie. So some people had like Charlie Brown themed cubes and people were riding around in scooters. And um, there were a lot of days that I was just like, how is this work? Like how do people actually get stuff done with this, all this like silliness and craziness happening? Um, but the, my time there was, was really, really good. Like it was, um, bittersweet making the decision to, to leave. Cause like, I don't think I didn't stay in render for long. I think I was only there for two months. Um, cause, uh, a couple other PA spots opened in other departments and I was highly encouraged by my, uh, supervisor in render to, if I wanted to stay in the studio that I'm going to have to move to another department. So uh, I had to do that. But it was uh, a really, really great experience working there. Cool. So how long did were you working at Blue Sky? I was at Blue Sky for about two and a half years, mm-hmm. um, which went by really, really fast. But I, I wanted to make sure at the very least I got to work in every phase of the film. Like I came on Ice Age 5 in the end. Ferdinand mm-hmm. was in production while I was there. And by the time I left, uh, pre-production was wrapping up on Spies in the Skies. They may wow. have started animation. No, they didn't start it. They started part of animation. Um, so I haven't been while at that studio on a film from beginning to end, but I got to experience each part of production while there. No, yeah, that's always important to like to, be, to like get your hands on every part of the pipeline. And that's really interesting that um, you mentioned that you were in like the, the, the PA for the render department and like how you uh, you guys would go through every frame of the film and just like call out these different things that seems like um it's a very similar process to what we do on my show that i'm on because it's also cg that um but it seems like this is a for the feature process it's more elongated but for tv like we have meetings that where we do the exact same thing but we do it like only on the initial like v1 pass that we get in for a full episode and then go through and then watch it with the execs and the art direction supervising director and call out any collisions and cloth sim and all that stuff and send it back overseas to be like hey you need to fix that (laughs) and then it comes back and then the retake director handles it Mm -hmm. so it's just interesting hearing like the exact same thing but done in a in a different way for like a different kind of pipeline i have a question uh no <laughs> how how important do you feel it is to have a uh artistic understanding or animation background 
when you got into a production assistant role at Blue Sky? Like, do you feel like it helped you uh, or like enhance uh, understanding of uh, like being on the production side at all? Or was it kind of like, uh, I learned way more than I like could have ever like uh, having your animation background? Like, what was what do you what are your thoughts on that? I think it, it helped a lot. I I think also not, not I think I know also for a fact that when I had my interview the recruiters had looked at my website which functions as a blog heavily more so than like a, a house or a place for like my artwork and stuff like that mm-hmm. so they were privy to the fact that I was really like about animation now when it came down to for instance working in story once it word got out that like I was an artist and I went to art school and like I have an animation degree. They were just like, well, why are you in production? Why aren't you like on the art side? And it's just like, no, I want to use my knowledge and experience or barely experience of being like an artist to just help streamline the process of like production management. And for me, it came in really handy in terms of like storyboard, also understanding, okay, well, we have these script pages and they have about two weeks to board them before they have to pitch them pitch them to the director and just understanding that some things and some artists they're just they're not going to draw this that fast and they may need like an extension or they need more time and maybe they have to do ot and being able to come to my supervisor and i got to sit in to um sit in on a couple budgeting meetings not a couple i ended up having to represent like my department in these meetings and just having this understanding that like no the artist is not going to turn this around and um, having that experience, I think definitely has helped in my, I'm at a different studio now and just comparing my coordinator, she, I actually don't know what she has a degree in, but she has only worked on one animated feature production. And even though she worked in production management, she didn't work as closely to the artist. So I, I'm, Finding just in working with her, there's things that I have to explain and things that she just doesn't know. And it it works out well for us um, that she at least kind of could have someone that she can ask questions to. But I was like, oh, if I was a coordinator on this, I would like know all this stuff. And like that just kind of, I think, really, really helps in production management if they have some sort of understanding of what the pipeline process is or what the steps is like what does it mean to be a material artist like what does it mean to be like uh working on fur or like working in the compositing or an fx artist or like layout and previs and just understanding those type of things i think it if a production management person has some sort of understanding even if they don't have a degree but like I don't know, watch a couple YouTube videos or something like that. I think it could better help to support ultimately the artists that are trying to get the mm-hmm. thing to be made. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. That, that you hit the nail on the head there that like, I totally agree that having that knowledge of like that, um, having that knowledge of like different types of like the creative process that goes into animation, whether you're in feature or TV, like that makes you a stronger production person. It really does. It's not like you're like, like if you do art, but you're in production, it's not like it's a bad thing. It's just like, I, I feel like a line producer would look at someone on, on their resume and if they see art there, but they want to do production, it's like, bring them in because they're going to know how to relate to the artist and they're going to know what they need. And like, 
the fact that like you were doing that and like are still doing it, that's like that's so awesome to me and like i'm being this someone in production like i fully agree with that like i, I love that yeah. <laughs> and speaking into that i was just kind of wondering what was it like with the transition from each department because is that a typical thing in feature where like you don't stay in one department you end up moving around depending on like what production is going on yeah I can only speak for blue sky I don't Mm -hmm. know if the other you know studios over there on the west coast are like this but it's like strongly advised if you want to move up in production management that you're in at least like two different departments Mm -hmm. during your time there um, before you go for upper management interviews for me the the difference the adjusting period from render I went I went to story was like challenging because renders was completely like tracking everything on shotgun and very like heavy on the computers in one sense but moving into story I felt like it was archaic. Like they didn't do anything that could be really be tracked properly. Oh, <laughs> and oh, when I started in story, the way that we would send things to edit was like you, the artist put stuff in their folder on the server. You were supposed to copy that stuff to your desktop to have like a hard copy. And then you had to upload it to a different folder or two different folders on the server to make sure like edit got it and made sure it was like in the proper story folder for other departments to get it. And my first two weeks in story, I overwrote so many storyboard panels because I was just confused. I was like, I don't like, how do you guys do anything here? (laughs) I I, I I wouldn't even think like the, I guess, organizational uh, procedures would be like so different between um like each part of the production but yeah i mean i guess in different studios do different things <laughs> you know and it could be also a different thing between uh, tv and film yeah what ended up being really cool though is at my time in story um with spies in disguise they were actually implementing flicks so for those who are not familiar flicks is a web-based software to track panels and send panels to editorial so it was really streamlining the process so i ended up becoming like even despite being a pa i was like the point person or one of the few point persons in the studio um to not only train people to use flicks but i had to train people in the animation department people meaning animation soups and like leads as well as a couple um, actual animators. I had to train like editorial and um, there what other, there was another department. But anywho, just like really training people and just streamlining this process and telling people like, okay, yeah, I know you love using like Sketchbook Pro or whatever have you, but Flix works with, my, with um, Photoshop. So we're going to need you to either like properly export PSDs with a background layer or use Photoshop. And with editorial, you know, those people have been at Blue Sky for years. And here I come like this, like, oh, story PA, uh, we're doing things differently now. They were like a little bit apprehensive for this. So um, I am, again, grateful that like being in that department, I I was a part of like changing or, or the change of how story was running and in story becoming less analog and, and more digital. Um, but it was like, wow, 
And then now at the studio I'm at, like, they're using Flicks. And I'm like, oh, yeah, these are the same problems we had because you're using it straight out the box. You need, like, your own IT person to come and customize things so that it works a lot better. Mm. Um, so I don't know if they ever got that happening or if they're just working through the the hiccups. <laughs> but um, I think, I hope I answered your question. Yeah. I can't oh, remember yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, that answered it. Yeah, so... You're you're at Blue Sky for two and a half years. Um, and what did you do after Blue Sky? Like, where are you at now or in between now and Blue Sky? Uh, so after Blue Sky, I felt like I did almost everything. I, um, I gave myself a little bit of a break because I was commuting actually from New York City to Connecticut every day. And Whoa. that was a, a bit of the reason why like, I left. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I know it was becoming like a physical and mental toll. Like I would leave my house like at six. Um, I'll get to work around eight, eight fifteen on a good day. On a bad day, I was going to work like at nine. Um, oh, I would leave work at like five thirty. I would get home around like eight at night. And, you know, after like two years, it was starting to like I said, physically and mentally take a toll. And then with winter and like if there's a train issue or in the summer, sometimes there would be like fires on the tracks because people litter. Yeah. And I was just like, look, if there's one more snowstorm, I might just quit today. Like, I don't think I can take this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's why I said it was really bittersweet leaving because I did want to stay. But like, I just I couldn't make things work to like move closer. Mm-hmm. And um, it just like sucked in, in those regards. So after Blue Sky, I did some like remote work um, coordinating a film festival to a certain extent called Black Web Fest that's here in New York. Mm. Uh, It's a festival that highlights basically like web series and films from Black people. I uh, was hosting another type of podcast, a social commentary podcast. So I was doing that pretty heavy. And then by the end of 2018, I was working as a cashier in Michael's. Um, But that summer after I uh, left Blue Sky, the woman that founded Black Web Fest asked me to like be a panelist for like a black and animation panel mm. and i was like okay sure and then she got double booked so she was like oh now you have to moderate the panel oh boy and i was like wow. oh, now i need to find people to like be on the panel <laughs> so i called on like the few other black people that worked on blue sky and i was like hey there's this opportunity here i would really love for you to participate and then they agreed and with that uh having that panel uh, the attendees and the coordinator herself the founder was like oh like when are you gonna do this again like people were like i have a niece or like a nephew a cousin that would like love to attend something like this and i was with one of my childhood friends that does pr and she was like oh we have to make this a thing like you need to do this again or whatever Mm. so we sat on it for a little bit and then we said okay well we're gonna do like diverse tunes and we came up with that thing being a a panel just bringing to light black people people of color, women of color that work in the animation industry. Um, we had our, our first like official panel, September of 2018. Mm-hmm. And I just was like doing that stuff. Um, last year, like I said, I did like almost everything. I was like, I don't know what God wants me from, wants for me, but like, if he wants me to work in the VR pop-up, I'll do that. 
if he wants me to keep working at Michael's, well, I'll do my best. Um, I taught stop motion in a Ooh. summer camp. And then I was like, I, I can't believe like I'm doing this, but like, you know, I did it. And then I got the call for um, an in-person interview for my current job and started there in October. And I was like, yes, finally. So I am working now at uh, essentially one way or another, like at Netflix animation on um, a feature film production. I am not sure about how much can be said, so I'm not going to say much. Of course. But they're, totally they're producing something here in New York. So um, I think that just was like a godsend, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's what I've been up to since I left Blue Sky. Awesome. That's really cool, Monique. Like you were on the grind and then the Lord was like, I got some for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yep. got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're currently so you're currently still in the production space, um, working on this super cool thing in Netflix. But let's go a little bit back to diverse tunes and like so you're heading it up now and are you still going to be doing more panels like in the next coming year like what are your plans for it yeah so what was starting to happen for me was a little bit of burnout and that's really because I was doing so much outside of that trying to get full-time work again so with my childhood friend we're business partners and we've been taking some time to really think and like re-strategize about how to continue moving this forward So we will be doing a little bit less panels here in New York because we want to focus on a bit of like digital experiences so that more people can participate and and be a part of it. So at the moment, we have about three panels that that we'll definitely be doing here in New York. Um, It would be dope to collaborate with people. I know people in other cities and even other countries have access to come and do things. So that will just take some more coordination and planning to have that happen. But like I said, we want to move into a bit of like a digital space and provide more access and resources. So, for instance, if there's people um, who could be from the East Coast that recently moved to L.A., we want to make sure that they know Black and Animated exist and that they have mixers and stuff like that. So we want to just start to become like a real resource for Black people and people of color that's um, trying to navigate within the industry. That is amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah and I remember it too when I uh, first saw. I think there was a, a recording uh, that you, I guess, premiered or put online. Um, of it, I'm, I'm guessing it was the first Diverse Tunes uh, panel um, uh, with uh, a couple of people from Blue Sky, and I think uh, Pilar Newton was in that too. I can't. I can't exactly remember, but <laughs> I. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I remember seeing that. And I was like, this is so awesome. This is amazing. Yeah, a big thing with me and Diverse Tunes was just like also trying, trying to create like an in-person a community of that like Black people can be in animation and not be in L.A., which is very hard and I understand to continue to do here on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. But for me, I feel like once I graduated college, it was like all the Black people like disappeared. Mm-hmm. And you were constantly only the only Black person in a studio space. So mm-hmm. just if we can start to build a community and saying like, oh, I feel you. I've been there before. And this is how I dealt with it. This is how I dealt with some of the microaggressions. Like I've talked about um Okay, I'm a black woman, so I change my hair like every two to four weeks because that's what I do. And like, how do you deal with uh, your coworkers 
always having to comment on it or like yeah. asking you, is that extensions or did you dye your hair? Did and you it's get like, a haircut? We're building a space where like, <laughs> we're like, how do we deal with some of these things? So um, I just wanted to help like support that. Yes, we are on the East Coast and animation hasn't died over here. It's just different. Yeah. And what can we do to like help support each other as we continue moving forward? Wayman, why did you leave? You suck. Yeah, <laughs> why did I leave? You Jeez. suck. <laughs> go back. Oh, geez, I gotta go back. <laughs> Monique, no, I... you need to beat him up. You I need to beat a, him up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I feel like that's so important, and I that's uh, one of the big reasons why I feel like uh, talking to you uh, on on Black and Animated Street because. I want mm-hmm. people to know, like, yes, they're, uh, the animation community in L.A. Uh, is really big and uh, there's a lot going on. But it's not it, the only place. It's not the only place. There are other places that you can be uh, if you want to work in animation and you could still sur- survive. And it's like it's tough. It, it can be tough, but it's still doable. So if, if L.A. is just not your uh, thing and you really don't want to move like all the way to the west coast there is still an animation community uh in uh the on the east coast and in the midwest and and i mean all over the states and outside of the u.s as well yeah um like it kind of feels like there are certain places that are starting to be more vocal about like hey we have a scene and it's been here don't you know like we're doing stuff like Mm -hmm. You know east coast and then texas is booming Mm -hmm. a little bit um i think it isn't Atlanta starting to like kind of be like, Hey, you know, like, hello, like don't forget about us. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's some stuff up in the Northwest. I think. Northwest. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the, like a, like a, <laughs> like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for when you said Northwest for a second, I thought you said Northeast and I was like, yeah, that's New York. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's why I paused for, but I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and, yes. And, and I can speak for like Midwest. Like if your flavor is more commercial work, Mm-hmm. then yeah chicago's got got a scene for like commercial animation if you want to do like like some traditional stuff like because calabash like they animate on paper there so i think they still do mm-hmm. before i left they were still animating on paper mm-hmm. like i do a lot of the the cocoa puffs commercials and stuff like that or if you're into like uh after effects and like doing that kind of like motion graphics daily planet like there there is stuff depending on what you like mm-hmm And I also want to mention how you said about like other countries from doing uh, diverse students and also having started the podcast. I've had people in the UK reach out to me about just like they're facing similar things with the lack of representation, not only on media, but as content creators. And they've been like, can you help us? And I'm just like, girl, I'm in New York. I don't know exactly what I can do. (laughs) But um, what's been really cool is I've been able to at least connect the people that reach out to me to each other and say, well, hey, y'all have the same interest. Maybe, you know, since you're all the way over there, y'all can link up and, you know, try. I don't know. Yeah. Um, So that's been pretty cool. Yeah, that is true. Like, it's it's interesting because it's uh, the Internet has connected the world to each other to such an extent that it makes it feel like 
uh, someone that's so far away is just like right next to you. And it's like, oh, yeah, it'll be great if you can do this here. And it's like, oh, well, that's a little difficult, but you're there. Like you, you can like be this thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So Monique wanted to ask you about what your favorite animated film is of all time yeah the number one the big numero uno or animated content it can, oh if gosh. it's not a film it could be a cartoon i guess <laughs> yeah you know i i am so torn um between pocahontas uh the the little mermaid Ooh. and beauty and the beast Classics. with pocahontas and the little mermaid leading the pack. oh okay okay um, Yes. Who would win in a fight? Ariel, Pocahontas, or Belle? <laughs> I definitely think Pocahontas would win, but Ariel would give her a run for her money. Mm-hmm. Um, and Belle just wouldn't be competition. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, nice Belle has books. She's like, I'm going to go read a book. I'm, 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 like, I have no time for this. Yeah, I'm Y'all doing too much. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go get, uh, get some education. I'm going to see you later. So why those three? Like, what, <laughs> why, why are those your top three of all time of everything? <laughs> I, I just really like, even though Pocahontas is not magical, I just really love that magical feeling. So um, obviously Beauty and the Beast and Belle both have like those transformation scenes where like Ariel gets her legs and like Belle gets that wonderful uh, gown and they're dancing to like, you know, Taylor's oldest time. Pocahontas, I think I really gravitated to because she was uh, running in the cornfield. And I was just like, wow, that seems like so amazing. Like I want to run through that course of cornfield. Yeah, cornfield and the sunflowers. And I was like, I just want to do that. And when she jumped (laughs) off the cliff into the water, I'm like, that seems so like free and liberating. And I don't know what about like six year old me just was like, yes, I want to be free. I want to be liberated. And I want magic. (laughs) And um, those are just the only reasons why I love those. Anything magical, like I am here for it. I don't really like anime, but if like Sailor Moon, transformation lots of magic i'm here for it i want it all the time all right so this has become the sailor moon podcast favorite sailor scout go let's do it (laughs) okay i'm not a good sailor moon person but i can go by colors i really had liked the one with blue hair and the the little sailor scout that came came about later that was pink Mini um, and I just only liked her really because she was small. But I don't <laughs> like the color pink. There, I feel like that's a fair reason. <laughs> I actually think I like the cat more than I like all the Sailor Scouts. <laughs> Wait, black cat or white cat? Which one? Oh, that's important. Isn't Luna the black cat? Yes. Black yes. Cat. <laughs> I forget the name of the Was it Ar- Ar- Artemis? Artemis. Whoa, yeah, okay. And then they there. had a little baby cat that was gray named what? Diana. What? Yeah. When did that happen? That happened later. Diana I'm not familiar with the gray cat. Oh, I don't even remember Diana at all. Going off another tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, magic magic anime uh card captors yes card captors a mystic adventure card captors across for all time yes (laughs) just give me transitions and magic and i'm here for it forever okay cool so okay so so the magic of animation (laughs) 
and or the the storytelling <laughs> in the magic of the animation is what draws you. You get to be part of that magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a beautiful way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, card captors was great. Oh, so man. this is a question that we try to ask everybody. Sometimes we forget because we're goofs. But um, in pursuing animation as a career, because, you know, like we don't really see too many. Well, I mean, and initially, like sometimes it's kind of hard to see like faces of people of color that are actually working doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's not until you get in there that you start to see folks here and there, but never so much in like one space. And we're just curious to know, like, was the career of animation something that you f- were a little bit nervous about going into because of that? Or, if, or was it something that, um, there was like that that you were supported on because you know there's the whole mythos of like art isn't a real career you won't make money doing that mm-hmm. um so like i said i had really supportive parents mm. and just throughout college and i think that's just it's so so different in from what I understood from friends, just having parents that support you pursuing a career in art or like a degree in art compared to not having that. And I've always been the type of person that like, I don't really concern myself with, I like, I wonder like if just me being black or something or being the only black one, like makes people feel a sort of way in the space. And as I started to, Uh, get comfortable with being constantly like the only black person if not the only black girl or woman in the space I started to think like oh I have to be here and it's important for me to continue to show up and unfortunately I know that people may make generalizations because I may be the only person that they've interacted with like this or under these circumstances or what have you but I often uh navigate from a place like well I have to show up I have to be here because like it's only going to make it better for those coming up behind and after me Mm. and um I also outside of all this other stuff which is like goes back into what I've been doing since I left work is I personally mentor three uh black women they're all relatively recent college grads but I'm also a, mem- a mentor for um, Women in Animation's New York chapter. Oh, and, nice. And just, again, helping to uh, share what information I know, even though I'm still early in my career, and helping to navigate, but wanting to make sure, like, I'm not a person that closes the door just because I got in the room. Right. You know? So I've never been, like, intimidated by the fact that... Um, I may be like the only one or like, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right or something. It's like at least getting this far allows someone else to go farther, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Um, again, so I hope I answered the question. Cause I feel like I talked around in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel, I feel like I asked about it in a circle cause I couldn't quite formulate what I wanted to say, but no, I think you gave a pretty dope answer. Yeah. That was a really great answer. I, I feel like that was put very beautifully and very inspiring. I got goosebumps. <laughs> so I was like, Ooh, you gotta this do snap. Do yeah. Snap. This is, that was poetry. There you go. <laughs> it's like, there yeah, go. it's cool. You gotta <laughs> just pay it forward. And I, and that's just cool. The way that you're doing is like uh, mentoring people that's uh, that's really nice how does one become a mentor for for wea 
So, you know, I, I wanted to be a mentor originally, and it was only for people in L.A. So I was one of those people that, like, you know, quoted the tweet and was like, how come this isn't in other cities? Right. Mm-hmm. But um, they've since expanded and they are now in maybe like 11 cities where they have their chapters and are doing this. And I became a mentor simply because, like I said earlier, I'm constantly showing up. And people can put, like, a face to my name. And I'm, like, the animation girl type of thing, um, at least, like, in the socially aspect. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, someone reached out to me and was like, hey, I think you'd be great for this because of what I'm doing with the panel and with my website and the podcast and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's how I became a mentor. But in terms of me doing, like, personal one-on-ones, these were people, like, I came across and I really just kind of came up to them. And it was like, let me be like your animation fairy godmother and like, <laughs> you know, uh, see if we can help you help yourself type of thing. And so far it's been working relatively well. Um, I've been giving them feedback from their reels to their website and just like kind of helping their digital presence um, and uh, just kind of working through that that kind of thing and giving them, not giving them the answers, but helping to give them the tools to find their answers, you know? Hmm. Yeah, sometimes sometimes people need that, you know. Like mentorship is really important. Like we we found mentorship in Chris for yeah. like board stuff and honestly, there are some folks who uh who just really need it cuz they might not have like they might know what they want to do, but they might not have the proper what is it? Like the proper resources or or like the proper knowledge of like this is what I need to do in order to get to that point mm-hmm. and having a mentor like really like hammers those like fundamentals in for sure. Mm-hmm. And especially with something like animation, uh, so many people who like got into the industry years ago, they would say like, I just showed up with like my portfolio in my yeah. hand or like yeah. my, my reel on VHS or something. It's like, okay, but like, what am I supposed to do? That's not how things work. You can't just cold call and cold email your way into stuff. Like, unfortunately, it's, a, it's very connection based. So it's like, well, how do I even start that when I'm so shy or when I'm, when I go to networking events, I get so intimidated by people because I've never worked anywhere like how do I talk to someone like so much things like that I try to give back and like help give some like tips or some gems and like how to work around it like you'd be surprised I'm really a person that doesn't like to talk to people and like to be social but Mm -hmm. again it all goes back to like an opportunity lost seldom regained so I'm gonna have to fake it because there's an ultimate like goal I have in mind and I need people to kind of like know I exist because maybe, you know, they will hear a job opportunity and I want them to think of me when they think of the opportunity and, you know, be able to 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 do that, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, like I said, try and share those little tips and tricks and things to like help navigate some of those like socially awkward, intimidating instances, because uh, it is what we have to do to get where we want to get to if you want this dream job. Very, very well said. Snap again. Snap, snap. I need more snaps. snaps. Um, Yeah. Okay. I feel like, uh, unless you have any other questions, we're kind of like going, we're heading towards the end of this episode. So I'm going to ask a question that I usually like to ask uh, near the end of episodes. The magnum opus. (laughs) Which is, uh, what are the types of stories or content that you wish to see more of 
in the future or uh, you would wish to tell in animation? Okay, so wish to see, uh, obviously, more magic. Um, <laughs> shout out to Steven Universe. I really love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I also, like I said, like uh, I want to see really more diverse characters not only in terms of skin tone and gender but in actual like personalities Mm -hmm. um i want to see more diverse character designs because like we are all familiar with the tropes like linguini from um ratatouille and uh the typical bad guys like why is he always like super fat and the the love interest is like always this type of depiction and i want to see like just we there's so many different kinds of people visually in the world that we should really change visually that anyone could be like anything at any time mm-hmm. and i want to see um different type of like origin stories you know like I, there's there's just a lot of clicheness that happens not only with animation but just with like film in general so i would want a little bit of that to be broken um in terms of animation i think it would be dope if in some aspects they would revert back to like the eighties and nineties in not treating animation like kids are dumb and stupid and can't process things. And like to really have a bit of sophistication in their storytelling, I think would be dope. Um, As far as me and the stuff that I hope and plan on making, um, I'm personally really into like experimental stuff. Mm -hmm. I still a little bit, on the typical uh big feature film look to a certain extent but ideally i'm more of like i'm obsessed with into the spider-verse like i could talk about it forever and why it's the best animated film of all time even though i didn't list it as like my top but i think in terms of like cg and the way that they push the medium forward i think I would love to work on something that that's innovative and experimental and like really uh, pushes the fact that animation is not a genre, it's a medium. Mm. And those are the kind of stories that I'd want to tell and I'd want to be a part of. And I hope to make myself with help from people um, in the future for sure. Oh, Spider-Verse is in my like top two for sure. But like, I'm such a Disney princess lover <laughs> hey that's okay yeah amen very well said that was oh man i'm just gonna snap this whole episode is just gonna be full of snaps it's poetry you're, snaps yeah you just like dropping great gems and like talking about very very inspiring uh things everyone that listens to this is gonna feel uh fulfilled and nourished by your words yes. and uh yeah that that's a fact yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome I'm super like approachable too. I'll say to your listeners, like y'all find me on social media, y'all can like hit me up or whatever. I'm super like open, like what I know, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Since you're talking about social media and stuff and being able to find, where can people find you? If uh, I mean, you do wish to be found. So yeah, where can people find you? Don't roll up to her house, though. That's creepy. Yeah. yeah. Online, online. Well, I live in a building. I live in a building, so you can't, yeah. you can't roll up on me unless you see me on the street. <laughs> uh, so on social media, 
You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Simply Robotics. No spell at S-I-M-P-L-Y-R-O-B-O-T-I-X. I have a website, simplyrobotics.com, and a podcast, Simply Robotics, the podcast. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, diverse Tunes, it's exactly spelled exactly as it sounds. And we also have Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all that. And through those avenues, you can find uh, past panels. I put the panel audio slowly on the podcast as well. So you can listen. And um, yeah, that's me on the internet. Cool. Awesome. Do you have any last words of wisdom for um, any of our listeners? And I guess specifically for the East Coast folks, since you represent them. Uh, okay. So Issa Rae said that we have to, or that there's an importance in networking across. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the animation community, the millennials, Gen Zs, and, you know, our age group, um, we really tr- like want to reach the uh, Glenn Keane type of people and stuff like that. And we are not aware of, be it because we just don't know people exist or we just do not see the importance or value in the fact that there's a lot of good people on our level um, that we can lean on and reach out to to support them and their, their endeavors as well as seeking support for our endeavors like we really do have to work on networking across a bit better um because that will help us to continue elevating within the industry helping our projects to elevate and getting some um progressing progressing the industry forward like if we i would say as people of color to be more inclusive we're really to go for it as uh, millennials in networking across. I know like some amazing stuff um, will be put out there. Mm. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Oh my gosh. I, I love that you like pulled mm, an Issa Rae quote. Like, cry, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm like not even playing. Like I'm, I'm, that, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, so much for being on the podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. I love you guys. I really do. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, buddy. We love you too. And please, listeners, please, please everybody, check out. Everybody check out Monique, please. Yes. Please, please. Go to simplyrobotics.com. Please listen to her podcast. Please please follow Diverse Tunes. Yes. <laughs> and if you're on the East Coast, please reach out to her. And like, yes. she, she is wonderful. And even if you're on the West Coast, just do it. Yeah. Do it. Everybody <laughs> talk to Monique. Yes. All right. <laughs> Uh, I think that'll do it for this episode of Black and Animated. We're going to go out in a song like we normally do. Oh, uh, I don't have a song. Do you have a song in your heart? Have you ever heard the wolf cry with a blue coat? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the creepy while he I don't know the words of the song. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just, okay, you paint with all the, the colors, colors of the wind. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. To keep up with us, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Black and Animated. And be sure to listen for more episodes on blackandanimated.podbean.com and on iTunes. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are of the respective individual and do not reflect the views of our employers. Thanks, guys. Until next time, see you later.